Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're viewing this lesson. Uh, it's good to be with you again. We are going to be in Lesson 7 today, Chapter 8 of Romans. Um, I have enjoyed this time, and, and this is my final lesson for this quarter, and then I'll be handing it over to Jay Lee, and he's going to get us to the end. So I hope you will continue with us, and uh, let's, uh, let's jump into this. Right now as we uh, go into chapter 8. So get your Bibles, open it up, follow along with me. Chapter 8 of Romans. We're going to read through the uh, entire chapter first. And then we'll dive into uh, trying to understand it better. Um, this is a rather long chapter, so bear with me and uh, please follow along. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God, for the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, well... Let's dive in. I'm sure you've got some questions, some things that you want to uh, understand better, just as I do too. So in Romans chapter 7, the previous chapter, Paul told us about his distress over his helplessness to do that which pleased God. Paul opened himself up to the church in Rome as well as to us, and we got an inside glimpse of a man that showed he was every bit the same as us. Even with his special connection to Jesus, even in his role as an apostle, Paul faced struggles and temptation just as we do. In chapter 8, today's lesson, Paul describes with excitement how the grace of God delivered him from that shameful state. Do you as a Christian today ever ponder that same thought for yourself about God's grace for you and the things you may have done in the past? Well, something to think about. So let's go into verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we learned last week, because Jesus Christ is able 
to rescue those who are slaves to sin, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul expected and even deserved punishment for what he had done. But he received grace. What Paul could not do for himself, Christ accomplished by his work on the cross. That very same thought is for us today. What we cannot do for ourselves, we cannot make ourselves righteous. Christ has done that for us. He has taken that on himself by his work on the cross for us, for you, for me. Okay, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, did you see that Paul introduced the Holy Spirit there in verse 2? The reason Paul and us have been released from condemnation, consequences of the law of sin and death, is because of the Holy Spirit in and through Christ. In verse 2, when it says spirit of life, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit many, many times. And we can see the emphasis that Paul places on this member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is pivotal to the spiritual life of the believer, you and me. The Holy Spirit brings people to life at salvation. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7, through 7, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, the Holy Spirit is critical in our renewing, our our new life. And that washing of regeneration, regeneration, that's the act of baptism. Now, we'll get into more of that. Now, verse 3. For what the law could not do, which was provide righteousness for humanity, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Okay, remember, Jesus came to earth and took on human flesh and blood form. And as an offering for sin, all right, think of payment sacrifice for us. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So, who is this for? Those who walk according to the Spirit. Us, Christians. Five, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. So, if you'll maybe recall in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Now, along with that, remember the verses that we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. 
that say no one can serve two masters. Okay, our choices are things of the flesh or things of the spirit. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile, rebellious toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's talking about being so single-minded in life uh, on the fleshly things, the desires, the sinful things, that you cannot even think on what you're able to do with God. Okay, You are so focused on on self, on... on, uh, selfishness on your yourself okay how you feel what you feel what you want what you desire all right now hopefully you as a christian have put all those things aside so let's let's go on verse nine however you those walking according to the spirit christians you are not in the flesh but in the spirit If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. To make it even more simple, either you belong to Christ or you don't. There is no middle ground. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot straddle a fence. You can't have a foot on both sides. There is just no middle ground. You belong to Christ or you don't. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, okay, who's that? God, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul here wants us to understand that all of this leads right back to God. All of it points to God. All the glory is given to God. Uh, Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, means putting aside the old self, killing off the old self. You will live. Now, we have no obligation to things of the flesh. Nothing requires us to continue living that life, that life of of sinful desires and temptation, lusts of the flesh, of the body. Those things we have no obligation to. We can walk away from those. We can kill them off and Put them behind us. 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, Paul cites the idea that we are sons and daughters of God to help the context of the next verse, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Okay, that was our old life. We were were slaves to sin. But you have received a spirit of adoption 
as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We belong. What a wonderful feeling of belonging to God. 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, okay, as a whole, that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so we are heirs of what? The kingdom of God. And sharing that inheritance with Christ. Now, under Jewish law, the older brother received a double portion. So who could you say is our older brother? Christ. And he'll be sharing that great inheritance with us. Plenty to go around. Nobody is going to be lacking. But go back and note that Paul says if we suffer with him, how are we to suffer with Christ? Well, by being baptized into his death, the old self dying, buried with Christ and being resurrected as a new person. So 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, now remember, he is not writing to 21st century Christians, but think of what they endured at that time. They were outcasts. They were despised. They were persecuted. They were killed all because of their belief. All right. So Paul goes on and says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now Paul knows this because of his vision at the time of his conversion about the glory that awaits us, our light at the end of the tunnel, the very thing we are heading for that waits for us. 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, now by creation here, he's talking about the whole world, okay? All of it, the mountains, the trees, the forests, the rivers, the deserts, the people, the animals, all the creation, the whole world was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, including mankind, the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, Paul's personifying the, the world as a whole, okay? Everything that God created, he is, is lumping it into to one whole package here. He's talking about that as the creation. That includes man, woman, and child, and everything else. It's, a, it's a, a conceptual idea that he's trying to get across. He wants you to see the bigger picture. 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So that whole creation is looking for deliverance from struggles, even though not knowing how. Okay, and that's why we have Jesus. 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you there. First fruits of the Spirit. 
And he says, but also we ourselves. Now, is he talking about the apostles that were first with Jesus? No, he is talking about Christians, all who belong to Christ, whether in the Rome church or Anchorage, Alaska, or throughout the world. First fruits is a term used in growing a crop. The first ripened produce was a foretaste of what was to come. So he continues on, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, our spiritual self. He's not talking about the physical fleshy body. He's talking about our spiritual self. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now Paul is here is relating the day of redemption to the hope of the believer. Hope is what sustains us as we endure our present sufferings and struggles. Our hope looks forward to that day <coughs> when we will finally be delivered from the body of sin, decay, and death. Now, Hmm. Excuse me. Let me give you a question for thought. All right. I'm not going to answer this. It's for you to think. Can a Christian lose their hope? Now, what happens if they lose their hope? What do they give up? Answer that for yourself, please. Now, we are not left alone without a comforter. So let's continue in the next verses. Twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ and God our Father are all one intertwined entity. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us intercedes to God for us, talks to God for us. Things that we cannot even express or, or, or really put into words, it is giving those things to God for us. God our Father knows the mind of the Spirit. The groanings of the Spirit do not need to be put into words because God is intimately familiar with the Spirit's heart. Let's go on to 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, under God's providence, his plan, all things, even sorrows, trials, and persecutions work together for blessing. But how can terrible events and situations work together to be a blessing? Now, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to give you a personal experience to kind of uh, explain this. And, and I hope it helps. So, at the time of my accident in June, it, it, was, it was awful. It was painful. Uh, shattering my collarbone and, and requiring surgery and going through all that uh, is something I would never want to do again. But looking back on it, 
a terrible situation for me was actually a blessing. It truly was. I got to stay home for three months during a pandemic. I did not have to go out. I took better care of myself. It was a, a chance to reset uh, my health. I lost quite a bit of weight. I got to exercise more, going to physical therapy. I changed my food habits. I slowed down my lifestyle. I was able to take care of my family in a more mindful way. I look back on that, and I can truly see the blessing it became for me. Now, it depends on how you use that opportunity and the attitude you must have to see it. It's different for each person, but I hope that you can look for the positive and let go of the negative. So let's move on to verses 29 and 30. And I must warn you that it is easy to get lost in these two passages. So we're going to take it slow and a little bit at a time. 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, foreknew and predestined. To foreknow and to predestine are not the same thing. One is an act of foreknowledge or knowing something before it happens. The other is to decree or order something. Order something's going to happen. Now, we have knowledge of the past, but God foresees the future even as he sees the past. Foresees it not because he has decreed it, but because there are no limitations on his knowledge. Now, who does God foreknow? Those who love God. As he looked to the future, these were present to his mind. They were foreknown. You are foreknown to God. And what did he predestinate of them? Well, not that they should love God. He did not decree, you will love God. Or not that they should believe, nor that some should be saved and others damned, but that those who he saw beforehand would love God and should be conformed to the image of his Son. The only thing predestined is that those who love God is as revealed in Christ shall become Christ-like in life and like Christ in eternity. This is the only decree in this passage. The last part of verse 29 calls out Jesus as the firstborn of the children of God. So let's go to 30. And those whom he predestined, who? Okay, like we said before, lovers of God. He also called. How? How did he call them? Well, he called them by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling everybody. We continue. And these whom he called, he also justified. Now the called, accepting the call, are justified. Their sins are blotted out, wiped away, washed out. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. He made heirs 
of eternal glory. So we continue on in 31. Now, now those two verses, if, if you have questions about foreknown or predestined, um, please make comments to me, and I will try and, and uh, make it even clearer. I apologize if I still left it a little bit muddy, uh, but let's go ahead and, and uh, move on here. So 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Ah, I love this verse. Sometimes this single thought sees me through a struggle or even just gets me through the day. The power of knowing my God is for me, even when the world is against me, is powerful. All right, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So God has nothing he values more than his son, but he gave Jesus up to be persecuted and killed as the sacrifice we needed to be back with God. If God is willing to give us his son, is there anything he would hold back from us? 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Now, the word for charge carries the idea of formal accusation. Now, certainly Satan accuses us. But because we have placed our faith in Christ, we have been declared not guilty. All charges dismissed for those who trust in Christ. The word elect is used as a noun. It means us. Those chosen by God, his children. Paul goes on to say, God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So here, Jesus has been appointed by the Father to be the judge of the world. And we also see this in, in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 27, as well as Acts chapter 17, verse 31. But he is also our championing attorney, the one who intercedes on our behalf. Imagine standing before God on judgment day to have your sins revealed from the book of life. And Jesus saying, no. I have covered all of that. I have blotted all that out. I know this person. They belong to me. They belong to you. Uh, it's just something that just, it just, it thrills me to have Jesus know me. So now we go into the final passages of this chapter. And it's building into a crescendo, and I really love this part. And I believe we get more out of it when we read it with the emotion that surely Paul had as he wrote it, because he had personal experience in each of these situations. So as we do this, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and think of a day when you yourself were weighed down, maybe struggling. Okay, got your eyes closed? Okay, now, listen to Paul's words as I read. 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, open your eyes. Paul shows us in a very graphic way that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of Christ. It is impossible to get beyond God's loving reach. Now, we can remove ourselves, okay? We can make that decision to fall off the path. But but nothing else can make us do that. You know, read those verses yourself uh, again and put yourself in there in, in your daily life. So, our lesson is at a close. And I I really hope I have helped in your study of of Romans. You know, there are some things that are, are difficult in here because it's a different time and Paul's speaking to the to uh, the church there in Rome, um, and he's getting across uh, things that how they would understand it. So sometimes it can be a little bit difficult for us, but but I'm sure as you read through and take it bit by bit, that you will get through it as well. Now Jaylee will be picking up lesson eight, chapter nine, for the remainder of this quarter. And I know that he'll do a fantastic job continuing our study of Romans. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm sure he's going to have a, a different style. And I can't wait to, to see his lessons as well. I thank you for allowing me to spend time in God's word with you. And I look forward to seeing each of you sometime in the future as we emerge from this pandemic. May God bless you and keep us safe until we can be together again. Love you very much.